your individualism and individualistic attitude is buried at the foot of the cross so that your unique individualism can emerge, but for the glory of God and for the good of the body, not yourself. You weren't saved by yourself. You weren't, you weren't saved for yourself. And we have never gone after that core ideology. You're listening to the Rethinking Kingdom podcast, a podcast about rethinking and reforming a culture of biblical discipleship, looking through the lenses of the kingdom. Now let's listen in to today's discussion. The other thing that I think uh, hurts us is um, not only that we don't have an understanding of a biblical worldview and we don't go after that in our discipleship, um, but the other thing is we haven't really gone after what I call the um, core problem in American thought, uh, and that is we have pretty much as the church endorsed the attitude that I'm an island unto myself. Um, And so I use the phrase, um, when you get saved, your individualism and individualistic attitude is buried at the foot of the cross so that your unique individualism can emerge, but for the glory of God and for the good of the body, not yourself. You weren't saved by yourself. You weren't, you weren't saved for yourself. Right. And we have never gone after that core ideology. And then it's supported still. Another research by Barney just came out last week is that something like 56% of the Christians they interviewed uh, about discipleship and about their spiritual formation, 56% of them said, it's my own private business. Stay yeah. out of it. Exactly. You can't you you can't reconcile that comment with First Corinthians uh, teaching about the body. That's why also until that's attacked and that thing is killed, uh, we will not have discipleship because discipleship, any success it's had in America, has been more like going to the cafeteria smorgasbord, like Golden Corral. Mm-hmm. I'll take one of these. I'll take one of that. I'll take one of these. And part of that individualism or individualistic attitude is you can't tell me I'm wrong. And so as long as that's around discipleship, we will keep throwing discipleship like jello on the wall and it's just going to eventually fall off. And, and so I think that's a core that has to be taken on. I think also we've got to look at uh, whether it's in missions or whatever, are we going to be a church or a missions agency that is disciple making first and foremost, or are we a program oriented uh, church? What are we? And if you're a program oriented church, what you're doing is great because the measurements and metrics are simply how many people are coming and how much money's coming in the door. I don't care what that pastor says. That is the measurement. And that is it. The youth pastor's measurement is how many young people do I have? 
because that's always the question when you sit down. Someone will pop it up and say, well, how many, how many young people you got coming to your youth group? As if the number was the badge of honor, not how many disciples are you making? So if we were to really go after this question and how do we help the church, uh, I've already been doing this with about four to five different pastors and all the answers have been the same. Uh, and I've just started this this last year. But sitting down with pastors and asking the question, first and foremost, do you think you're making disciples? And if they are, then I ask them, how? What is your metric? Tell me. I mean, I'm excited. So tell me, how are you doing it? And if the conversation will always revolve around the program or usually about the kids aren't doing stupid stuff. Okay. And I then say, well, how does that, how does that equate or what's your personal experience with the fact that Barnard also found out that we are currently losing 75% of all young people the minute they enter university at Berkeley. Are you okay with losing three out of four? Because that's the, that's the number. So are you doing something that your numbers are much less? If so, pray tell. What is it? The answer will be always nothing. And so I've said to them, I said, well, why don't we have a conversation then about how do we take every program, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but let's talk about how we change things. How, what if we intentionally made discipleship the core and the only metric of everything we're doing? So in a youth ministry, you can still have Tuesday night if that's what you do. Tuesday night, it can be still a rowdy show with lots of entertainment. You can still have, you know, the uh, spitting image of the main church where you want to do your worship. He's going to get up and preach. You can still do all that. But maybe you need to incorporate on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning uh, or both days that you are gathering together six or seven of your key youth leaders and you're pouring discipleship in them, or maybe you just hang out with them three or four times. How does the program change to allow for discipleship to take place that's relationally based in order that we can make disciples who can stand up in the professor's uh, room at Berkeley and defend the faith and themselves? So, you know, how are we going to change children's ministries? I had a conversation with the international children's director of a missions organization that is what I would say probably a good mid-sized one. Uh, and if I gave you the name, you'd probably know who they are. But I was talking to, at the invitation of their CEO, I was talking to their core international leadership about discipleship, the very thing we're talking about. And I asked point blank, the um, one, one of their great things was they had foreigners and expats serving in these big roles. So they considered themselves therefore to be international, which was great. I thought it was good. Didn't mean that the fact that you replicate the same thing you are, that they don't, they may be Chinese, but they have the same problem. They don't have the same answer. They don't have an answer. Address the question to the international children's leader. I said, I'm excited about the things you're talking about. These programs, they sound very exciting. They sound like they could have great impact. Let me ask you this. You said you're in uh, Mozambique and you said you're in Finland, just as two examples. So tell me in this weekly meeting where, you know, you call them discipleship groups, the, the Finnish woman who's leading this, that's on your staff full time. Tell me what does a seven-year-old Finnish girl look like? What, what should she be able to defend about the faith? 
what should she be able to articulate? What should she be living like? What values, what virtues? You know, what should she at seven be if you're going to label her a disciple? What should she be at 13 as she goes into the youth group? Now, tell me in contrast, what does the one in Mozambique, the nine-year-old, need to look like? Can you tell me what a nine-year-old Mozambican boy who's attending your weekly program looks like as a disciple? What should he be able to decide about life and entertainment and friends and school and values? Do you even know? And if you don't know, then how do you know you're making a disciple? Isn't the old adage, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time, appropriate then? So I'm not saying don't do your weekly program. I'm saying that's a great kickoff. That's a great start. But Jesus held big meetings in order to siphle down to find out who's really interested. And that was the group you worked with. You're still going to need these things. But the objective is to truly make disciples that can turn the world upside down. You're not doing that. So either you got to change your mission statement or you got to change your programming. And of course, it went silent um, because everybody wants to talk discipleship. Nobody wants to foster the change required to get there because you now need to hire two or three other people that you have personally discipled or are going to be, and you need to hire them and have them also take eight to 10 kids. You're going to break your youth group down into disciple models that will uh, enhance making disciples. And you're going to put that money into helping those disciple makers hang out with those kids because from three to 10, that's when kids are available each day and then on Saturday and Sunday. So this missionary to youth is going to be on your staff, but is going to alter their own work schedule, uh, when they work, when they're available, what they're doing. Money has to then change on what it's being spent on because this guy's going to go with these five guys and he's going to be eating at McDonald's once a week. He's going to be doing bowling. Why? Because as life begets life, there's going to be issues. They're going to talk. And that's where the transformation. That's where the information touches transformation and the call to transform, to move over. That's when we are then seeing a biblical worldview also being formed. You know, for whether it's missions or it's here at home, there's there's significant change that's going to have to take place if, we, if we're to see a, a disciple movement within the church. Otherwise, the other option is, is to go outside the church and create it ourselves and then, at the Lord willing, as it overtakes the other, then it replaces it. So anyway, so that, that's a lot of information I threw out there. Um, maybe we just stop here and say, well, is anything that I'm saying generate thoughts with you or questions that I might be able to back up? Otherwise, I'll just ramble on forever. So, No, it's all good stuff and stuff that I've thought and questioned and I tackled myself. Uh, one of the things that always is in the forefront of my mind when dealing with the church as the process I go through uh, is, and I forget who said this, a businessman actually, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. So when we, when we try to create strategies to reform 
our thoughts and ideas about discipleship in the church, we always come up short. It, it fails every time. It becomes just another form of whatever that pastoral gifting is at the top of the leadership uh, pole. So, so we just kind of, like you said before, we just keep recreating what, what we are, you know, instead of actually taking the relational one anothering approach to create disciples as Jesus created disciples, to create the same and manifest the same as Christ did in his one anothering with his disciples. So some just amazing thoughts about that is, you know, after Jesus, you know, resurrected, but, but just actually just prior to that, just before he returns uh, in the resurrected body, the disciples had all experienced the perfect disciple maker, right? Yet some still doubted. Doubted. And that struck me so hard when I considered that, that after being with this man for three plus years, mm -hmm. being with the living God who, who makes disciples better than any has ever done it, there are still, there's still this metric in, in, in the minds of the, mm -hmm. of the folks, which moves past resurrection and ascension and into the life of disciples as they go forward and try to sort out who they really are. The first thing they do is they run and hide for the most part because they're scared to death they're next, you know? Mm -hmm. So so it takes years for this to start to cycle through the reality of, of, of who Jesus was, how he made disciples, and what they should do with that. Yeah. And unfortunately, around 300 years later, most of that has gone by the wayside, yeah. you know? And we become now an institutional government-sanctioned thing, you mm -hmm. know, taking on the aspects of our society and our kingdoms uh, and adding it to the church and becoming more and more diluted in our perspective. Uh, and so what the reason I'm saying that is the culprit in all of this is that we have allowed and still are allowing culture to dictate how we function. Whatever the current culture is in any given society, anywhere in the world, that culture designs the church, right? And and our models have been to, uh, you know, to develop and, and adapt programs to try and address that. And as you've stated, they just don't work. Right. They always fall short. So what we have to address, and however we can possibly do it, is the culture that we're in. Mm -hmm. We have to go after the culture. If we can't meet the needs within the culture that we're serving, we'll never make that disciple-making process cemented as the foundation, like you said, the one thing. And, and I say this all the time. If we were a culture of disciple-makers, if the body of Christ was, in fact, a culture of disciple-makers, every need within the body would be met, every need. Whether you're talking about aspects of fivefold being developed in in a region, whether you're talking about you know the gifts and callings, all of these things they're ancillary and they rise up out of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They don't come before that. Correct. They they're they're needs that are met by the Holy Spirit as we mature and grow in who we, on our understanding of who we are. So, you know, starting with understanding my my 
an individual identity in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. Been discipled that far. But why? What's the purpose of me knowing who I am? Is it just so, like you said, is it just so I can have mine, so I can feel that, you know, my personal individual relationship with God is is all there is? That's, that's the goal. And like you said, now, and anything outside is no one else's business. I've been confronted with that. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. I've, I've talked with people and said, you know, uh, I've asked them questions and they literally said, that's none of your business. And I was just dumbfounded by that. Like you talked about in Corinthians, it's like, that's contrary to the gospel we, we believe. So how can you say that? But if you press it, they just get more livid. They just yes. get in deeper. Yeah. And so I've learned that instead of going after that, I have to go after the culture of that mindset and mm-hmm. try, try to bring some things to the surface. Whereas you ask your own question, you ask yourself, what is it that I'm missing, you know, and how do I discover what it is I truly need? But so, so yeah, I, and I, I just am constantly looking at all of the process and program. I've sat down with many leaders, pastors, and I've gone to them with this, the simple interview question of, just like you said, how do you make disciples? What is your definition of disciple making? Almost every time I've done that, well, they, they've asked me, well, I wish you would have sent me a list of your questions before you came. <laughs> and, 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 and no, literally, we want to be prepared. And I said, if you're not right. prepared for this question, you're not qualified right. for any other question. And, and, and I'm sorry, but this is the one thing. This is what we were designed to do. This is a command. This is not an option. Just another quote, and I believe it's Bill Hull actually uh, said that, and I'll paraphrase this, is discipleship is not optional. Like when you go order a car and you want it with or without air conditioning, it's the vehicle that gets you where God has for you to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So discipleship is the actual way that we do what Jesus did, and and we we're making little Christ disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're not formed foundationally in that place of of that being the reason that we exist as a church, then uh, there's some real issues with that. You know. Right. And, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but I've been collecting every book on the topic and subject that I can find for years now and just looking at every perspective on discipleship and disciple making, all the program stuff. And, and things like you, you shared too, they all work to some degree. They're all yeah. aspects of what's needed. It's just when they're the only thing you offer and you don't raise people up within the relationship of one anothering in Christ, then you don't actually have people who know how to model discipleship. Model well, and to your, your point there, Barry, I mean, you know, what you're describing there is is the analogy of what you said a moment ago, and that is you experience people who tell you it's none of your business. And when you try to press even harder, they just get even more livid. And the reason why takes us right back to that, what I said earlier about the individualistic attitude has right. never ever been challenged okay until we do we can have people sitting in our in our pews we have thousands upon thousands but they all 
will only cherry pick what they want. To your point, culture, the culture here is, I have a right to my own. No, you don't. Jesus you said were that. bought with a price. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. were bought with a price and you were bought for a purpose. Yeah. And that purpose includes the fact, guess what? Just like you didn't pick your biological family, you probably don't get to pick your relational right. biblical family. But exactly. that family actually trumps the biological family. And the allegiance is to this one, not to that one. Uh, and down the list, we can give Jesus's quotes on that. We can give Paul's quotes on that. But this programming approach to discipleship, as your point said, yes. Are we getting the information to the person? Yes. But in the transaction that happens as we share life relationally, when we are walking together, when we're doing meals together, when we are close enough that you are allowing me to tell you no and make it stick and give you the reason. And then you, because of that relationship, you yield. That's when regeneration has a chance to work in your life. And without that component, we treat church and we treat discipleship as if it's a conference we went to and we're taking notes. And we're going to drop whatever we don't like. Even in the relational model with Jesus, and both of you know this as well as I do, when Jesus confronts the disciples, sometimes it's not the it's not this gentle, you know, approach. It's, you know, what were you discussing? Oh, I already know what you were discussing, so why don't you, you know, own it? And okay, I'm gonna use this opportunity to straighten out some of your th- your thinking. Other times it's a direct rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yes. You know, and again, in our touchy feely world of, well, you really should do that privately, you know, or do you really have the right to say that to him in our world today? Jesus doesn't have any bars pulled. He says right in front of the other eleven, which would take Peter down a few notches, okay, and and in humiliating. And Jesus didn't care, you know. Uh, when the rich young ruler is interviewed and he decides to leave, Jesus doesn't get up and go get him. The disciples make a point of, whoa, wait a minute here. And he said, basically, no, no, just let him go. And Jesus was going to tackle the culture and the ideology that is a part of that culture. So when you say culture, I think of ideology. Ideology.